When we're talking about perfectionism in its unhealthy ways, we're trying to cover up what I call and many of us call the shadow, right? The parts of ourselves that we don't really like. We try to pretend to be what everybody wants us to be so that we're well-liked, we are well-received. We don't ruffle anyone's feathers. We put up with a lot more than perhaps we'd like because, well, that's the polite thing to do. That's the right thing to do. That's the more mature thing to do. But there has to be a space where we can just be and we can express all of our qualities when we're angry when we're scared when we're jealous when we're nervous when we're feeling all sorts of things not just the pretty girl who gets good grades and always has the right smart nice thing to say to make everybody else's life happy It's Ozla Moskan from Amsterdam. It's so nice to have you here today on Bridging. In Bridging, I have incredible conversations with world's leading minds, fascinating people and game changers. My vision is to help people to learn, practice and transform in all areas of life. I want to make wisdom practical and available for everyone. As a side note, this episode is also available on my YouTube channel. And please don't forget to follow me also on Instagram, Ozkan Ozlem, O-Z-K-A-N-O-Z-L-E-M. Sit back, listen, and hopefully, hopefully, really hopefully, what you will learn today, you will practice and transform. Welcome everyone on the new episode of the Bridging Podcast. It's your host, Özlem Özkan. I'm here together with an amazing guest, with my friend, Dr. Eva Benmele. Eva is a clinical psychologist that focuses on the relationship between parents and children. When she was a young child, she immigrated together with her family from Venezuela to Miami in the United States. Growing up, trying to adjust to her new life in a new country, she was the good girl and aimed for perfection. She was looking for approval and wanted to make everyone happy. And nowadays, as a clinical psychologist, she focuses on parents' mental health, especially focusing on mothers who feel depressed, anxious, and aim for perfectionism. Through therapy and meditation, she helps clients find the tools to drop perfectionism that leads to more energy and more self-confidence. Eva, welcome to the Bridging Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It's so great to have you. I should actually say Dr. Eva. Okay. So Dr. Eva Benmele, can you please tell us a little bit about that little girl moving from Venezuela to Miami, trying to adjust to a new culture, new friends, new school, and a new language. In the meantime, also seeking for perfectionism and approval. So it was an interesting time because when I moved to Miami, I didn't speak English. I knew very few things like good morning, I love you, where's the pool and the beach. Uh, because when we first moved, we were living in my grandparents' apartment in Miami Beach before we moved into our, our home. And it was an adjustment because I came in the middle of first grade, didn't speak the language, didn't know how to get around. I was using by accident other kids' workbooks and not my own. And my parents were very smart and they hired a tutor to help me learn English. So I became the model student. So much so that throughout the years in my school, the teachers would ask me to chaperone any new child from a new country that didn't speak English, even though I only spoke English and Spanish. But I, I took around people from Russia, from other countries and showed them around how to adjust to the being in, in, in our elementary school. Um, I'm the oldest of three. And so it was just, I don't know, it, it was an interesting time. I just, uh, I remember rainy days for the most part when I was in the earlier years of moving here and just making sure that I did well in my classes and tried to make friends as much as I could. 
Okay, yeah. so coming to a school, not speaking the language, parents hiring a tutor, and actually quickly becoming like someone that was helping the newcoming students later on, some Russian mm -hmm. students or students from other countries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in your story, you say, uh, not here, but what I've read about you, mm -hmm. what I know, um, that you are striving for perfectionism and also actually seeking approval, being the good girl. And, you know, yeah. I actually also grew up like that. And many of my friends being the good girl and also how we teach kids in elementary school, hey, good girl, good boy, good girl, good boy, you do this. So right. let's define first for our, our watcher and listener, what is perfectionism? So perfectionism, it's the unhealthy type of striving for perfection. And we can talk a little bit about the healthy version of perfectionism. But when we're talking about perfectionism in its unhealthy ways, it's we're trying to cover up what I call and many of us call the shadow, right? The parts of ourselves that we don't really like. We try to pretend to be what everybody wants us to be so that we're well-liked, we are well-received. Um, we don't ruffle anyone's feathers. So we, we put up with a lot more than perhaps we'd like because, well, that's the polite thing to do. That's the right thing to do. That's the more mature thing to do. And a lot of us are called old souls or wise beyond our years because we learn from a very young age to sit pretty and be quiet and just answer and do as we're told because that's the right thing. That's what's the best for everybody. Not mm -hmm. necessarily taking into consideration if it's what's best for us. And of course, there's importance in having customs and having manners and in, in being respectful. But there has to be a space where we can just be and we can express all of our qualities when we're angry, when we're scared, when we're jealous, when we're nervous, when we're feeling all sorts of things, not just the pretty girl who gets good grades and always has the right, smart, nice thing to say to make everybody else's life happy. Helps new students that are coming into a new country, in this mm -hmm. case, you. Yeah. And, and it was nice because, you know, from a young age, I was um, conditioned, could be the word, to be a guide. Now I'm a psychologist. So I've always, in a way, been helping people, you know, let's go through this path together. I'll, I'll help you. But what happens a lot of times is we have to learn to help ourselves. And when we're perfect, we don't need help. Everybody needs help, but not us, not us because we're good. Mm -hmm. How is That's it now for idea. you? You know, like, <laughs> do you mean like um, there, there could be a difficulty to show your vulnerability, to exactly. show who you are, like the also the angry you, the sad you, the all the emotions that you're having because you're so busy looking the pretty perfect girl towards mm -hmm. other people and get approval? Yeah, exactly. I was being sarcastic before, but yes. So when everything is always about helping everyone else because we're good, then we learn very quickly to put aside what we're feeling or what we're going through because it's not as important. It's not as bad. Someone else needs more help. This is what I was told to do. You know, and, and that starts from a very young age. Like I was saying before, I'm the oldest of three. I'm the first granddaughter from my mother's side. I carry my great-great-grandmother's name. I'm the first Eva after she passed away. So there's a lot of firsts. There's a lot of, from a young age, what I assume now, as I look back as an adult, a lot of um, expectations in a way. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. Yeah, yeah and that, that led for you to strive for perfectionism, actually to not show anything that is other than being perfect. In a way, I mean, I think if you would ask my parents or my mother specifically, she'd probably have something else to say about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not like I, I never got in trouble. Of course, sometimes I would. But the idea growing up was being um, just doing right, always doing right, always doing and getting the good grades and, and having the friends, not necessarily being the prettiest or the sportiest or anything like that. It was like just 
stay in your lane, be this type of, of a person, of a, of a girl and other parts. No, they don't fit. It has to stay in within this narrow scope. So what, what kind of effect did it have that you wanted or maybe felt unconsciously pushed that you had to be in that certain lane to be that certain person? Uh, when you say affect, what do you mean? In what way? Like, how did it affect you? Like, you know, in ways like when you were just becoming an adult mm. and uh, did you carry these things with you and how did it actually limit you from doing some of the things that you wanted to do? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. I, um, I love to dance, but I was always so shy to dance. And... Um, I have always had few friends. I know a lot of people, many acquaintances, but few friends. And so in, when I was younger, I wouldn't like to go into, I would be nervous to go to parties or nervous to go and dance because then that part of me would come out and then how would that look, right? Because when you're dancing, you're disinhibited. It's just one of the best ways of self-expression. Um, growing up, it was a separation of, Eva, the psychologist, the, the nerd, the, the smart one, even though I never considered myself to be smart. Um, I just, things just happened. That's, you know, part of the, the problem with perfectionism is that you, you're, you're afraid of owning yourself because you don't want to seem arrogant. Um, and so this other part of the, this other side of the feminine side of me was, was pushed off to the side. It was just, I don't know how else to put it. It was in a in its own little box that wasn't touched or opened or, or looked at a lot. And that's been unraveling itself. I would say very beautifully, very I guess in its own pace over the past few years. Okay. So you know, you are a psychologist, you're actually a doctor <laughs> in, in psychology. Yes. Yes. So you are um helping parents to overcome mm -hmm. uh, perfectionism. Um, and you're also helping parents that, you know, feel anxious and depressed. I wonder how are anxiousness, being anxious and being depressed, how do they relate to wanting to be perfect, to perfectionism? Mm -hmm. So in the beginning of my work as a psychologist in private practice, I was looking a lot at the depression and the anxiety that was showing up with the children I was working with and some adults. And uh, through the course of experiences in my own personal life, I started digging deeper. What is the common theme here? And what I kept listening was, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't deserve it. Things just happen to me, but it's always something bad. Or what if the next thing will happen? It's going to be bad a lot of negative thinking about the future and not being grateful for mm. what actually was taking place. Um, and I, I say this story a lot in the beginning of my own personal journey. I met with someone who's now a dear friend of mine and she says, you're ungrateful. And I was like, but I always say please and thank you. What do you mean? I'm so grateful. She's like, you don't own it. You're You're not really embodying what it is to be grateful for, for the things in your life. You're more nervous about what you don't have or what you might think won't happen versus taking in the beauty of everything that exists. And that was a big, big, big change for me. And I think for a lot of people in, in my therapy practice, they always say, yeah, I practice gratitude. And I ask them, well, how? What do you say? How do you feel? And a lot of the times practicing gratitude, it's not just saying thank you, but it's owning that you have what you're deserving, like what's coming and that you're grateful for. You're getting because it belongs to you. It's for you. And a lot of the times people with depression and anxiety don't make that bridge where they understand that the good things, if you want to call them good, because even the bad things are, can be good or are good, actually, I believe in. Yes, so do I, um, are, are for you because you're deserving of the goodness that's coming into your life. So I don't know. So if you I said some, you. you said, you said something really good there. So like really taking the 
things that are coming to you and being grateful for that. Because yeah. you said, like, you know, I said to my friend, I'm actually, I say, thank you. I say, please, but I didn't own the fully things coming to me, really being worthy and being in receiving ship yeah. that it comes to you and owning it. This right. came to me and I take it. And the ownership, right? The, the, that fact is super important because when we're anxious, we're constantly thinking about the future. When we're depressed, we're constantly thinking about the past. Mm -hmm. And as perfectionists, and like I was saying before, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but if you're only thinking about the future, only thinking about the past, you're not in the present moment, then it's always going to look the same. Mm -hmm. And, and as parents, we need to learn to be in the present moment because children, actually, we pull them out of the present moment. They're in it. We're the ones telling, hurry up, get ready. We got to go. We got to do this. Don't you remember how you did this the last time? Now you're going to do it again. And it turns into this whole drama of pulling them out from the present moment because we think we're doing right. And the reality, it's us shifting back into what it means to be here now and letting life unfold itself in the way it needs to, not in the way we foolishly wanted to. Yeah. So, you know, actually we, we both work with kids. I teach part-time kids and you um, give therapy to kids and parents. And actually I also work with parents because, you know, I talk about their kids to them. And, you know, I feel super privileged that I had the chance to teach actually thousands of students over the past yeah. of 80, 20 years and um, and I love my students. I love the parents as well. What I see sometimes, you know, when parents come and they would say, like, my child, I see this. I see that my child is striving for perfectionism or I see that my child is doing this. And most of the time, if not all of the time, you see that back also in the parents mm -hmm. i'm not saying this to the parents like you know hey but no, that's I what do. you're doing too i don't i don't say it because i'm mainly focused on right. the children and i don't give therapy uh so but that is actually it's it's almost like it comes big part from the parents and it is given over to the child, either biologically, you know, genetically, either also like because the parent is modeling that right. behavior and whatever you model, I mean, the child takes that. I remember so good when I was a child and, you know, uh, sometimes I wasn't careful and then I, I was bringing from a dining table plates to the kitchen and one fell and broke. And one of my, my dad was really like, what did you do? Didn't you see this? You have eyes to see. He was so upset. And I was really like, oh my God, I should be next time better, 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 better. And because they wanted to be also perfect in a way. And right. I took that over. So right. it's super related to the parents, either, as I said, genetically or via modeling i mean would you confirm that if i say this would you confirm this as a doctor in psychology yes there's always a predisposition right especially if you have it's the genetics you know it's such an interesting idea of genetics what is it that we inherit besides what's in our genes right what's in the dna it's not just the biological markers it's also the the psychological and the emotional reactions that we have to situations that we inherit from generation to generation and then it comes out. And so of course the nature nurture, but nurture, if the parent is so hard on the child who has a higher predisposition to anxiety or depression or both, then yes, it's going to come out that way. And whenever a parent comes to me and says, my child is like this, I, in one way or another in the first session say, okay, well, who has anxiety? And when they say no one, I say, who's never been to therapy? because it has to come out. And I, I used to be more uh, polite and more patient. Now I'm like, we're, we need, we, we have to deal with things like now, let's get, let's cut to the chase. And because if the parent changes, the child of course will as well, especially if the child is young, because at that moment, the brain is still malleable. There's still yeah. room for development and improvements to be made if the parent gets their organization and what they need in, in check. Yeah, I had one parent last time and, you know, uh, the 
parent asks me like, hey, I want that my child reads more and wants to study more, all these things. And I was like, how about you? Do you read? Not really. I was like, but you can tell her, say, hey, you can, you should read more. But if she never sees you reading, yeah. I mean, that's not a real model. If, just do everything what you want. Your child does. Just do it. Model it. Yeah. And if it is in your child, the child will do, you know. So if we look back at our childhoods, you know, how do we start developing perfectionism? And how can we actually one step ahead that we think, whoa, that's going to happen. So how do we prevent it at that time? How can we prevent or can we prevent it anyway? In ourselves or in our children? I think let's say in our, in, let's start with in our children. Let's start. I think that's a really huge thing there. Because when we start there, if we are already prevented once the children are adults, we don't need to look in ourselves anymore because we have overcome that. Yeah. So if we look at perfectionism from the nurture perspective, in order to avoid that happening to the child, the parent needs to have inner, inner work and needs to have awareness as to why they're stressing their child so much to color within the lines, to clean everything up, to not yell at them for breaking things, um, you know, all of the things that we say because we want to raise good children and, and, and have them be good members of society. And uh, also because for a lot of parents, and I'll include myself, well, it makes us look good. So if we're, if we're good parents because our children are perfect, then everything that we're doing is in, in, in good, uh, for good reason. It will make us look good. Did you say that? Just yeah. There's a lot of narcissism for when we become parents, and uh, I, whenever people say, "Oh, I, I want to have a child," it's, it's because I want to have a child, not the child wants to be here. I so we have to, to we have to understand why do we want this child. And also, once the child or the baby is born, that this child is not an extension of us. It's its own separate being with its own separate purpose from us in this life. And a lot of people have a hard time understanding that. They see their children as, as property, as, as possessions, as extensions of themselves, as uh, expressions of themselves. And they must be perfect so that they can feel good about themselves. If I remember Khalil Kibran, um, Lebanese poet, he wrote, our children are not our children. They come through us. Yeah. But we do not own us, or okay. own them. Yeah. I don't know how he said it exactly, but the children come through us, right. but they are not ours. They are the whole, mm -hmm. wherever they are in this planet, on this planet, in this universe. So you said like the parents should do inner work. They should actually ask themselves like, why am I trying to ask my kids just walk straight don't make the plates fall I, when they start yelling or tidy up or whatever they want that the child does so do inner work so that we can then start maybe preventing perfectionism that the child will develop what more that one to to the point though it's uh one of the hardest hurdles to overcome especially in the beginning because society doesn't teach us that our children come through us. Society says that child is yours, belongs to you until they're 18 in the U.S. and they go off to college. And so it's, a, it's really shifting the belief system that you can be a good parent and your child be messy. And you could be a good parent and um, your child's just be them. So that's why I work a lot more with adults now than with children because I'm mm -hmm. trying to go more towards the roots of the issue before it's too late, before that's already become cemented in the child's mind that they aren't good enough unless they receive the good girl or the sticker or the reward or the straight A's or the top of the, the sports and actually all of that all at once. 
I love that so much, Eva, because I said, let's start with the kids because it starts there. But you say, no, no. And you actually, that's why I shifted starting with parents because it yeah. starts there. They are raising children. Yes. My work with teens is amazing because I tell them if I knew what I'm teaching you and we're talking about and you're expressing in therapy sessions now, uh, who knows where I'd be. So if you can understand these concepts at 15, 16, 17, 18 years of age, you're, you're already on your way of making a whole life out of you and for yourself very different from, from what you've been conditioned to believe. Uh, but for the littler ones, my work is with the parents to get yeah. them to snap out of it. So I do inner work actually also shift their belief system towards However they are, however they treat their kids, they can be good parents. I mean, yes. if the child is a messy, you are still a good parent. You don't need to have a neat child all the time, you know? Okay, so let's say we have this ideal situation. What can we do as parents to support our children to become who they want to become without projecting on them that they should be perfect. So yeah. just become who they want to become. So I'll get personal with this one. Please. Because I, I used to say I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I was that parent who would yell at my four-year-old daughter for spilling the milk. And I was that parent who wanted everything to be super tidied up and yelling, we got to go, it's going to be late, we have to get to school on time. And, pre and it was like preschool. My children are two years apart and my daughter is almost 12, my son is almost 10. And through several course of events in my life, I had to make a very, very strong choice if I was going to continue living stressed and wanting everything to be perfect while avoiding and ignoring the things that I needed to work on for myself or I was going to make the changes and luckily I have uh and not really luckily but but um purposefully and within with tons of intention I've made it my, my choice to steer my path in a different direction where my children and I kind of joke about these sorts of things now and they each can express themselves as they want without having to, oh, the word is coming to me in Spanish. Um, they don't have to challenge me. It's just, this is who I am, mom. And you know, the, the worst of it now is my son with his table manners. It drives me nuts that he can't hold the spoon or the fork the way that I was taught. And he he uh, challenges me. He says, well, why do I have to hold it like this instead of like this? You know, because it's still normal eating. In my yeah. household, when I was growing up, that would never have been a topic of conversation. You, This is the way it is. You do it this way. If not, you're punished. So yeah. the fact that we can have the back and forth conversations, and this is a silly example, this is table matters, but it's setting the stage for later when we're going to have much more important conversations, probably about school, about their relationships, about decisions that they want to make. What is my role and my, my own responsibility in helping them and guiding them? And then what's theirs in order to make up their mind to do as they please, because They're the ones who know themselves the best. Wow. Can you give another example that you actually kind of let go of perfectionism while raising three children? Two, the two of them. Um, what, what you said like 12 and 10? Did and you 10, say that? Yes. Oh, I yes. thought also you said two. Sorry, two no, children. No, no, no. No, the third one, I don't know what there's the third one. <laughs> oh, maybe not, not yet, maybe, not yet. Uh, maybe the universe has said it to me so i'm just telling you third <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know i have no idea it just came up that's okay that's okay mm. uh well it was with myself i had to decide again what kind of expectations i wanted to live by and it's you know whenever i work with my clients a lot of them tell me Eva, i don't want to turn into a hippie 
because they're so uptight about so many things, that's their fear. And I said, there's no way you're going to turn into that. First of all, there's nothing wrong with being a hippie. But for a perfectionist who's super type A, everything's organized, color-coordinated, gorgeous, and just down to the T, to be considered a hippie is the worst thing. And so I tell them, it's you're just more in flow. You relax more. And the best part about it is you stop, for the most part, fighting against time because time works in your favor. Mm-hmm. And you start to really just see the bigger picture. For me, perfectionism and, and working through perfectionism has been a way for me to become more spiritually aligned. Because yeah. when, we tr- when we're trying to, for everything to be perfect, we think we have so much more control than we really do. And we miss out on such beautiful opportunities to connect with wonderful people. And we miss out on opportunities to connect more importantly with ourselves. Yeah. So, and if we are in a moment that we actually still want to become perfect and we have feelings of, hey, I don't feel actually good enough. How do we cope with these feelings of not feeling good enough? Like I'm trying so much. There's no time. I'm just doing this for my kids, for my partner or people without kids, you know, just really trying to do their best constantly, but they don't feel enough. It's never enough. Right. So it's like when we're at the retreat, right? When Dr. Joe says, you're just not good at it enough. You're not good at it yet, right? Right? He's always saying that. Well, if you don't get it, you've got to keep practicing. Let's give, a, con- I, let's give a context to the watcher and the oh, listener. Sorry. So <laughs> we know each other from Dr. Joe Dispenza retreats. We have been to many advanced retreats and I've yeah. met Eva in Nashville. So yeah, uh, yeah please keep continuing. So I love that he says that because he normalizes it. We're not supposed to get it right off the bat. We have to grow. We have to practice. We have to make mistakes and, and, and get better at it. And when something truly bothers us that we're like, oh, why can't I get it? It just shows how much it means to us and how much we just want it. So instead of focusing on why we haven't gotten it, it's also focusing on, wow, this really means that much. Well, what am I going to do to make sure that I pivot to making it happen versus staying in the why hasn't it happened? Because again, we have as much control as what's in our hands, right? We, but the rest of it is it's just so many factors that are that are way beyond our understanding and our so own I, timeline. I actually want to say two things about it. You know, when Dr. Joe says like, you're not good enough yet. So if you don't get it, you don't not good enough yet. It's actually, you know, he doesn't say not good enough. He says, you're just not good at it yet. You're not good at it yet. Okay. Let's just be clear. You're not good at it yet. But that feeling of, if you feel you're not good at it yet, I think you shouldn't pay really that much attention of, I'm not good at it yet. Oh my God. Why is it not happening? Instead of that, be light about it. Like, oh yeah, I didn't practice that much yet. I'm not good at it yet. Like the yet word is so, so, so important. And also, as you said, like, instead of focusing on what is not good yet, just look at the things, what is good. Like we have a certain amount of energy. And sometimes I do this with my clients or with my students. I say, like, if I give you one liter or gallon, I think it's in the States, whatever, one bottle of water, that's your energy. And here are the cups. Where do you want to put your energy and which cups? Is it in the cup of I'm not good at it. I can't do this. Oh my goodness. I haven't learned it yet. Or do you want to put it in? Hey, I'm just trying. I'm learning. And what is really feeding you? Which one is better? Just think about it. And maybe you will eventually come to a conclusion. Like I should actually feed the cup of, I'm not good at it yet. I'm going to get better. I'm trying again, practicing again. That's what we all did when we started biking, right? No one just went on the bike and said, now I can bike. No. You just fell, kept biking one more time, kept biking, and some biked in five falls and the other bikes in 100 falls. You know, everyone learns it in a different way. When when we're talking about that, and I, I love that example, it's uh, what we're really telling the child and the adult is to question what they were taught. And if they can question and say, yeah, my parents were wrong and I didn't have to learn it off the bat. And when my mom or my father 
beat themselves up and said, oh, I'm so stupid. Or man, why doesn't this work out for me? And they said that in front of me as a child, that I could see them for who they are and not necessarily as owning the truth of the timeline of how things are supposed to go. And when you're able to create that separation emotionally and intellectually, that what your parents taught you, they were you were taught by another human being, not a god or a demigod, but by another human being with all of their flaws and all of their beauties. And you could see it for what it is. It's an opinion, not a fact. Then you can also start the process of your own self-love and self-worth because mm. you see that as separate from you and you could decide for yourself, you know what, if they were wrong about that, could they have been wrong about other things? Could they have been right about other things? What do I want to take? What do I want to leave with them? Or not even with them, just throw away. And then you could start to think for yourself, well, yes, if it took me 20 times to learn how to ride the bike, then it's going to take me 50 times to get the light perfect or the camera on exactly where I need it to be or the hair to look or the husband or the job, whatever, you know, whatever the struggle is. Then you could say, okay, well, this is my journey. And what my parents taught me or what I saw in them is theirs. But you have to see it for what it is. Do I understand this right? So not see it as a fact, but for just w- for what it is. You create a, a separation, individuating, individuating yourself. You're separating yourself from the belief system that was, was cemented and, and given to you, that you absorbed as a good girl, as a good boy, because you wanted to do as your parents wanted, yeah. whatever expected from you. And as you start separating from that and saying, oh, that was their opinion. And boy, did they beat themselves up when they did something wrong. That's them. I don't have to live like that or think that way. I could do it differently. And when I do it my way, it actually makes a lot more sense. But you have to have the the courage and the love, really a lot of self-love to be able to say, I love you, mom and dad. But I don't have to do it like you. So you have to love yourself in order to be able to vocalize that. You don't need to say it to your parents will really feel into, hey, mom and dad, you taught me this way, but I choose that way. Actually, this is really good. I just want to give an example. You know, I'm getting more and more and more aware of what my parents taught me, especially the past nine years and what I choose to go. But I just actually caught myself just before we started recording this in something and I just get really an awareness now when once you tell this when I was a child I really I liked being messy my hair being messy everything being messy I was just wearing like these kind of vests for one week straight I didn't care at all I was like my mom was like you are so dirty you should just change your clothes do something with your hair whatever all these things and i i I just really i really did not care at all but the older i became you know at the end of my teenage year especially you know early 20s I, i just started being more neat and all and before we started recording this actually eva and i we just played a lot of it camera and i was giving instruction i was like oh but eva it should be just right and left and then the camera should turn on and then the white wall and then all these i actually found myself in being wanting to be perfect yeah. And that's what I learned from my parents. And mm-hmm. they also learned something from their parents. I think we mm-hmm. should really acknowledge this. Like, it's not blaming the parents. Like, why did you no. teach me this way? They also knew a certain way. And our kids right. would also say, well, mom or dad, why did you teach me this way? You know, later on, 20, 30 years later. I want to say something about that. You know, Please. putting it into perspective. Um my my parents spoke english moving to this country but they they made a very big decision as did all of the family members before me each time that they moved from turkey or from poland to costa rica to venezuela for my you know what i'm talking about my great grandparents and grandparents um and so as immigrants here it was important for my parents that the three of us were to be able to to succeed And so 
there is a lot of pressure. Well, we have to make sure that they learn that the, that the sacrifice and the, the journey that we've made into this brand new country to live the American dream is not for naught. So there's a lot of pressure also on them to make sure that these children are, are well in their way to get the good grades, to be liked, to do all these things, right? And so it's the more that I look at perfectionism in my job and also, like I said, understanding myself, it's a lot of it is a response to difficult and or traumatic experiences that we've had. Because the more everything seems perfect on the outside, then the, the less we have to maybe try to sort out the, the inconsistencies and disorganization on the inside. Yes, you know, it's it's very, it feels very similar, the same, you know, I'm in the Netherlands, you know, but my parents are Turkish immigrants and they also, like, when we came here, listen up, I mean, we came here with an aim and you all three should study, go to university as first university graduates. I mean, that's really what we want to see. And, you know, also me as a teacher, what I see in my students now, because so, you know, students are now third, fourth, fifth generations. But especially I had two years ago refugee kids in the class. Mm -hmm. They had straight A's. I mean, there was no instruction wasn't even needed. They were just yeah. so I'm here. I came here. I'm just going to make it. They never said that, but you could feel that energy. Yeah. And I, I understand it, too. I mean, but there's an understanding of but there's also a deliberate choice of this is what I was taught. Now I'm an adult. Am I going to see it as a fact or am I going to see it for what it is? Yeah. And just get not rid of it, but just let it go and just go to my direction, whatever that direction is. And, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing that if your parents want you to go to university and mine as well, or, you know, to have good manners, those are, are wonderful characteristics like I tell people you want your surgeon and you want the architect to be a perfectionist you don't want to have surgery in the wrong arm and you don't want the architect to miss a couple things here and there when he's building the house or she's building the home um, the issue what becomes is when it's self-deprecating and when it becomes uh, where we're comparing ourselves to others or we're using it as a way to to put other people down because they're not as good as you because there's that type of a perfectionist as well, or the type of perfectionist who's constantly trying to guess what other people want out of them. And so they strive to be perfect so that others are happy, but they never really know because they can't read anybody else's mind. That's when it gets tricky. That's when it gets dysfunctional, but to strive to be determined, to be hardworking, those are wonderful characteristics that, that, that get us to a lot of wonderful places in our life. So when it becomes tricky and we start comparing ourselves with others, what then? Mm -hmm. What could we do then? So when we're comparing ourselves to others, again, it's the, the inner work, right? That self-awareness. What is it about others, others that I see in them that I want? What is it in others that I see in them that I want? You already yeah. create a separation by actually... Right saying feeling that and so then remembering or learning that if you see it in them something inside of you is able to identify that they have it you know a lot of moms say i want to be like that mom who doesn't yell at the kids at the park and i do you think she's never yelled at her children do you think she's always calm and collected or she's always lovey-dovey with her husband and what you see is a snippet right or social media was it you know, its own, I don't want to call it many things, but social media is its own realm of comparison traps. So it's understanding, again, instead of the focus of, I don't have this, this isn't mine, or why am I not getting it right, or why do they have it and I don't, wow, this is so important to me, let's flip it. What do I need to do and where do I, where do I need to connect with myself or other people or books or information so that this now starts becoming part of my reality, part of my mm. life and not seeing it as others have it and I don't. And that's makes, the work. It makes me think of what Dr. Joe often says in a meditation. Remember who you are. Mm. Remember who you are. 
if you would remember who you are, who you truly are, who your core is, I mean, everything separate, it wouldn't matter. That mom is not yelling or you are yelling or whatever, that person has this and you don't have that because you know who you are. Right. So, um, but that's the hardest part, right? If you're raised to be perfect and to be raised to be what everybody wants you to be, mm -hmm. to remember who you are, it's a process. It doesn't come like this. It's, it's a, a process. lot of, a lot of unveiling, a lot of, you know, cleaning and throwing things out and keeping other things. And, and sometimes it's the physical and then it's the spiritual and then it's relationships and not, sometimes it's all at once, but it's not like, Oh, okay. That's right. That's who I am. <laughs> it's okay. And you need to keep practicing, keep practicing, keep practicing, keep practicing. What could be, for example, a daily exercise that you could do to remember who you are and stop comparing, stop judging yourself, yeah. stop wanting to be imperfect, but start being who you are. What could be a daily thing? What do you do? What do you recommend your clients, the parents and kids? Let's say in this case, the parents. For both of them, the first is to meditate. Hmm. When you're able to connect to your heart and you're able to learn to shut the mind and not necessarily shut it out. It's not that there's no thoughts, even though it's, it's a beautiful place when you're, when you're in this flow and there's no thoughts coming into your mind and you're still awake. But just to be able to understand and, and have the, just to see the thoughts come up and not feed into them, that's one of the first steps. And then to have other thoughts come up or memories come up when you're supposedly trying to reach a level of calm or a level of self-love or, or, you know, you're trying to connect to an emotion and then other things are coming up that are getting in the way, trying to understand, well, what, what, are, what are these thoughts trying to tell me? What I tell my clients a lot of the time is that our, our mind doesn't sometimes speak to us directly. Our mind is so smart. Our mind knows that some of the truths we're not ready to understand and we're not ready to hear off the bat. And so it talks to us in a different language that we have to translate. So if I'm trying to connect to self-love and this memory comes of when I was punished as a little girl or I was made fun of by my people who I thought were my friends or whatnot, then it's trying to understand, okay, well, what does that memory have anything to do with this practice of, of self-love? And when I'm able to understand these two, then I can say, okay, well, who am I? Who am I now? What did I learn from that experience that I, I'm still bringing into my day-to-day -day life? And what are the things that I need to let go of? Um, a lot of people are just, they're, they're, they're incredible. They're, they're so passionate. They're so talented. They're, they're so smart. They, they, they're, they're just wonderful, beautiful human beings and they don't recognize their worth. And so the question is, well, why do you chase instead of sitting in your power? Because when you sit in your seat, like this is, this is where I belong, then other things start happening and other people treat you in different ways, not because they've changed, but because you yourself you have, have changed. changed. Yes. So it's, it's try for a lot of the work that I do. It's, it's changing. It's the mind frame. It's, it's, it's flipping the, the script. Um, it's understanding what are these thoughts really trying to tell you and how much are, are we going to listen to it? And if we are listening to it, what's it really about? So when you sat down today, this morning in your chair, what kind of thought did you let go? And what kind of awareness did you tune into? So what thought did I let go of? Well, I... This morning, I went to a wonderful yoga class, and I would have not gone to yoga. I would have stayed preparing for this interview and reviewing my notes and reviewing things that I thought you'd ask or that I knew you'd ask or whatever, and I said, I'm going to step into my flow, and I'm going to just release whatever tension I have in my body, and I thought that would be the best way to prepare. And I thought to myself, 
um, because this was the, the yoga class I went to. It was the first time I had gone to this type of yoga class. And the I told the lady next to me, I'm going to be watching you sometimes because I, I don't know all the poses. And at the end of the class, she said, but you did great. And I kept thinking, oh, but I don't know if I was following well because this was my first time coming. And the other thoughts that were coming to me were, that's why you've done all the other types of yoga classes before, was preparing you for this particular yoga class. So you put all these things together, all of the poses that you've learned in other classes for this one particular. And I'm going into all this detail about the yoga class because there's meaning behind it. A lot of the times we go through what we think are a waste of time or we go through situations that are incredibly painful and we don't understand why we're going through this. Why me? Or why am I so bored? Or is this the right course? And then you're in a new situation where you put, where you have to put everything that you've learned or experienced in the past to this one to actually work out and work out beautifully. And if you understand that the reasons why all of those things happened to you in the past were preparing you for this moment. For me, it was the yoga class. And it could be something else later on in life, right? Then you really sit into the gratitude that life in and of itself is its own flow of perfection. And you're just one little detail of it. And as much as you can step back and participate, but also step back that then that's how you prepare. And I don't know if I answered your question all the way. You definitely but... <laughs> did. I love it. I love especially the flow part that you said, like I decided to go to yoga instead of preparing and just not, not preparing, but extra reviewing my notes and all. I just decided to go and be in the flow. And even nothing, maybe you waste your time because everything is there to teach you something. So I love it so, so, so much. I know that you are also doing online therapy, right, Eva? Yes, yes. So where can people find you if they think, hey, I would love to talk to you, chat, work with you? Um, can you just share some details? Yes, definitely. Uh, my website is drevatherapy.com altogether. And my Instagram is dr.evatherapy dr.evatherapy we will put it all in the episode notes and if you want to schedule a call with dr eva ben mele just go to her website or her socials thank you so so much from the bottom of my heart it was amazing thank you so much thank you thank you, thank you for watching and listening and we will see you next time thank you bye for now Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. If you have loved it, please leave a review. If you did not love it, please also leave a review. And so I can make a better one next time. And if you want to know more about the workshops and courses I am teaching, visit my website, ozkanozlem.com. I will spell it for you. It's a Turkish name. O-Z-K-A-N-O-Z-L-E-M.com. May you be the best version of yourself today. Bye for now.